Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Collier Bird Corner. I am your host, Owen McIntyre, and with me, as always, is Riley Jimison. He's like me, but with less hair. So, <laughs> and those of you who have not listened, Collier Bird Corner is a short podcast that we just kind of go into the various uh, snakes that are found under the Collier Bird umbrella. Um, so, and we try to focus on species that you may not have heard of. Riley, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the Slowinski's corn snake or the Slowinski's rat snake, better known as Pantherophis slowinskii. All right. So the first question that has to come through before all questions, <laughs> how is this different from a normal corn snake? Well, let me tell you, yes, Owen. I would like to know. First of all, it is different. So... <laughs> If right, we were going to well, give you the long and short of it, that's where that ends. But right. that would okay. be rude, and that would not that would not be satisfying. So this is a specific specific locality of rat snake um, that is only found in Louisiana, East Texas, and Arkansas. Okay, there's not a ton of information out there, but um, it's a sister species of the Great Plains rat snake. It's an excellent climber. It spends a lot of its time up in the trees in that area, but it's it's a very isolated pocket. It's genetically distinct, I believe. Um, it's just an argument of you know how how that breaks it up uh, taxonomically, and and you know depending on who you talk to, some people think it's just another another great corn snake, but there's a really, really cool story behind how it got its name and, and okay. the differentiation. Let's so, start, let's start with the, um, okay. Yeah. Let's start with the discovery and the name. Let's start there. Yeah. So, okay. uh, in 2002, Frank mm -hmm. Burbrink, uh, did the phylogeographic analysis of corn snake and, okay. um, uh, complex as inferred from maximum likelihood invasion analysis. So they, they did this whole phylogenetics and evolutionary study on corn snakes and that particular population in that region. Uh, and they found out basically that this animal had its own sort of distinct isolation and trajectory and lived in, you know, a slightly different area and looked different and just kind of, it, it looks like a corn snake, but the colors are very, very dark. Yeah. Um, yeah. All yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's pretty different. Some would argue it's just a locality, um, but it, mm -hmm. it's, it's a full species. It, it, it warranted full speciation uh, okay. after, after this research. And so they, they named it after uh, one of their favorite sort of researchers, somebody who they, these guys looked up to Frank and, and his, his, I'm sure he wasn't the only one involved in the project. So, um, everybody, they decided to name it after, um, uh, Slowinski, uh, is the last name of this researcher because on September 11th, 2001, when the, uh, the, the terrorist attacks in, in New York, uh, mm -hmm. uh, happened, he was overseas in Myanmar and he was bitten by a multi-banded crate, which oh, is, you know, pretty gnarly. Yeah. Uh, and because of the the day that was happening over in the United States, uh, they weren't able to communicate with the embassy. And by the time they were working on getting, um, you know, transportation to get them out of there, 
there was bad weather, uh, the helicopter, they couldn't really get him out and he couldn't even get, you know, medical supplies there and he died. Jesus. So they named this snake after, after him. Wow. That's, that's horrible, but, um, yeah, that's pretty gnarly, but there's, there's a biography of, uh, of Slowinski titled the snake charmer written mm. in 2008 by Jamie James. That's the, and 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 we're talking because I know a lot of the culverts that we cover, we're looking at first descriptions in like the 1700s, the 1800s. Mm-hmm. This is a 2002 description. Like this is pretty recent. Yeah. So you can imagine that most folks probably just walked around, thought it was another brown corn snake in the area, didn't really think much Come of it. Day. You know, and given that earthy natural color, it's not necessarily eye-catching. It's a it's an animal that's, you know, seemingly common to everybody that might have stumbled across it. Um, so it's not going to necessarily get attention right away. But somebody thought it was, you know, different enough and, you know, saw the, the writing on the wall, did the work, and verified that it is a full species different. And I think a lot of people want to argue that it's just a corn snake, regardless of what the DNA analysis shows, because it looks very similar, but looks mean nothing. We've already. The DNA is there. The DNA is there and we're done. So right now, my question is, is that prior to 2002, were these things collected and brought into U.S. herpetoculture as corn snakes? It's hard to say. I, uh, I would imagine it's, it's highly likely. Okay. So these could potentially be mixed into, certain mutations in the corn snake population and yeah. we don't know about it okay yeah it, it very well could be you know somebody could have just brought it in and thought it was yeah. a morph or just you know who knows because i think to the untrained eye yeah that that could be oh, yeah it looks like a corn snake if you had showed me this before even telling me it was something else i've been like yeah. weird looking corn snake yeah yeah and i so- thought that about the hundred flowers rat snake <laughs> but this is even more <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah so yeah so that's a great that's a great um comparison because yeah they have a lot of the same structural similarities and body type similarities and a a color variation could be as you know insignificant as well the ones on that mountain look like this and the ones on that mountain look like this but they're the same thing so sometimes we just don't pay attention to it unless somebody tells tells us it's a morph or something well that's the other thing is if you get genetic mutations in with this like what does an albino silhouette look like and how does that compare to an albino corn snake right I don't know. So who uh, knows? Yeah. So um, before we get into the description, I did want to mention that uh, Slowinski has uh, other uh, reptiles named after him. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, the species of bento gecko that's native to Myanmar, uh, Certidactylus slowinskii, and the mm-hmm. species of crate native to Vietnam, Bungarus slowinskii. So um he's not just okay it wasn't the one he was researching when he got bit no 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 but you could tell this guy had a love for it and he was out in the field and he was doing his thing and so it's really easy to see how these other researchers that are following in their own sort of footsteps and their own paths uh would want to honor him that way so that's a pretty cool story for um you know just a seemingly uh inauspicious just kind of bland corn snake looking right i prefer that we find out that names of snakes, like so this guy has three different reptiles named after him. That's cool. That's deserving. He didn't name them after himself. Like it was right. like, it's one of those things where other people did it. I'm cool with it. If yeah. you find a thing, you're like me, I'm going to name it after me. Like <laughs> you're kind of a dick. So yeah. 
Yeah. So I think, uh, I think they did it right. Cool. But, yeah. So we've already talked about this thing looking like a corn snake. So yep. if you're sitting here listening to us describe it, conjure up your classic corn snake body and size, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of a medium sized snake. It's got a grayish brown body. The, uh, the blotches that you get with these animals are like a chocolate brown and they're bordered in black. And these guys have that uh, spearhead marking. So you know how corn yeah. snakes can have various markings. The spearhead marking is actually pretty consistent for this species. So that's that's like one tell. But, uh, yeah. you know, you obviously have to have a, like, if you're trying to identify a bunch, it's not, you know, the only thing you got to know. The belly is checkered black and white. So it's got that corn snake look, but it's like black and snake, white. Yeah. And yeah. then um, they have a bar that runs through their eyes. So when they're young, they look a lot like uh, black rat snakes. And so okay. if you're looking at a, an Eastern black rat, um, the difference will be that, that black bar running through the eyes. Okay. And then this bar uh, in the Slowinski eye extends through the jawline and into the neck where on the rat snakes, it's only the jawline where it stops. Okay. So it's, I mean, to some people, it sounds like we're splitting hairs. Um, but, but it's, it's in enough. certain instances, you have to split the hairs. Yeah. In certain way, yeah. Yeah. If, if there's DNA evidence that tells me these things are different, then yeah, we should, we should have to split the hairs. It sucks, but. Yeah. But ultimately, right. like, if we lose that species out of ignorance, then we lose. Uh, right. a piece of that and uh, that ecosystem you know like yeah. that ecosystem functions when all of these players are at their levels where they should be and if something is removed from that system then it creates a vacuum where something else fills its role whether it's invasive or not and you just can really disrupt things and it doesn't seem like a big deal for a small population of snakes but uh, it really can be especially if they're you know a, a key pest control uh in in that ecosystem so yeah it's not just a bland brown corn snake it's definitely (laughs) something something important and really unique and for locality guys you know people who love their localities of pythons or bows or anything this is just you know another way to geek out on that sort of uh it's the same thing i mean yeah you know tell me that show me the difference between a rockhampton and a port douglas i'll find it and be like yay other people they don't care (laughs) like it's but yeah, it, and you know, and that's just the way it is with this kind of stuff. So, with these things being fairly new, newly described, we'll say in the mm-hmm. past, you know, in the early two thousands, are we even looking at red list, or is there still not enough data? So, there's definitely not enough available information for the red list search to really have anything on there that will give them any indication for the conservation status. But there are some folks locally in Arkansas that seem to be working on trying to get it up to uh, an elevated state rare status through the Arkansas national natural heritage commission. So there's enough people out there that are working on trying to preserve it. And so even though the IUCN isn't recognizing it just yet, they're, they're working on, you know, getting more research done, getting it under the microscope more, so to speak, so that further research can go even further. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it'll take time. A lot of that stuff, re- you know, requires money, funding, and and people to to be out there. And you know, COVID ain't helping that. So, 
<laughs> that is true. And you said they're um, East Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana. Is that mm-hmm. pretty much it? They're kind of yep. yep. sandwiched so, in that little bowl there? Yep. They've got that whole little pocket all mm-hmm. carved out just for themselves. So, you know, just geographically speaking, it seems like if they're all in that one area, there's got to be something unique to that habitat that allowed them to, you know, sort of settle down there and just differentiate from other pantherophis in that area during whatever spread with that species was experiencing. And then, you know, it's the same way like alligator snapping turtles in that area. There's three main drainages that they inhabit and they've been there for so long. They don't move much that they've all been genetically distinct for so long. They're isolated. Therefore Mm. they're now three different like subspecies or something. So, um, you know, science is fluid. Evolution is, you know, ever present and ongoing. So maybe they're, you know, still going on something, but yeah, they're different for sure. I would not be surprised if it was like color of the soil, rock, something like that. Cause that's usually what differentiates these small things where it's like, we'll see a ton of these. Why? Because the rocks around here look like that. Oh yeah. And then over here, well, we might see one or two, but that one's just weird and lost. Like, no, they belong over here. So yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, so it, it does seem that uh, these guys spend uh, some time in the trees. People seem to find them like climbing up bark or in these wooded areas. And with their brown and, and sort of earthy natural colors, they blend in with bark and tree branches. Nice. So that might be, you know, another pretty unique behavioral distinction that they've evolved over time, separate from, you know, I mean, corn snakes can climb, don't get me wrong, but this seems to be like their behavior. Yeah. The majority of times you find a corn snake, it's underneath something or on the ground or sure. You know, you might find one up in a tree, but if the majority of things are being found climbing, right. You know? Yeah. This, this animal seems there. A lot of the researchers are starting to feel that it's very uh, arboreal in, in an attempt to avoid a lot of ground predation. And on top of that, they're actually nocturnal. Okay. So, so that's a little different to me. I mean, snakes, yeah. you know, snakes are out at night. We, we kind of know that, but you know, rat snakes, I feel like a lot of those guys, especially a lot of the North American stuff tend to be pretty diurnal, but you know, um, maybe I'm ignorant. Well, every, every rat snake I've found has mm-hmm. been during the day. Okay. You know, from black rat snakes in my own backyard, just, you know, I, I go outside and they're laying in my yard, getting some sun or cruising. Um, and then even herping in Florida found yellow rat snake that was just on the road getting some sun. So I would say, I would say rat snakes might get warm during the day, but they're hunting at night. I, hmm. I think every species of snake is going to hunt more at night unless they are like, let's say say in there, this thing is diurnal. If you see it at night, it's weird, yeah. you know? So I would say that these guys have got to, if they're more active at night, that makes sense. You mm-hmm. kind of would find them maybe if they're in a tree, maybe you find them up high, just mm-hmm. hanging out, getting some sun. But then at nighttime, you see them kind of moving right. through the trees are coming down. So, right. And that's that probably sense. why we don't have a ton of, you know, long term data on them. Right. How how big are these guys? Corn snake size. They, they're not um, they're not, not very huge, big at right? all. No, no, no. They're. You know, your typical uh, probably yeah. three and a half, maybe four foot, slim, narrow bodied colubrid. Um, not very like big at all. Black rat snakes are just, they get so long that, you know, when you see them, they're on the ground because they're just that big. Right. So, yeah. Right. 
Yeah, and these guys are in the hobby, believe it or not. Um, no way. Yeah, so there are some folks that, uh, you know, have preserved lines of these pure locality, so locality species of corn snake or rat snake. And uh, although not common, it sounds like you have to, you know, find that, that channel of communication to somebody who's gotten in and get the, the line to the breeder and get on a list. But mm. it, it seems like it's doable. Well, you know, that's the thing. If they're going to, if they're looking to actively list these things on a red list, that, that, that may become a little bit harder to do than just get on a breeder's list from in the near future. Right. So, yeah, um, I would I would imagine it's it's liable to change if more research is done. Probably. Um, so as far as food, what are we looking at for these guys? So these guys are going to eat small mammals and, and birds, um, yeah. pretty, pretty similar to North American rat snakes. You know, they'll probably grab, you know, nests of baby birds if they come across them, do their uh, arboreal adventures, um, you know, grabbing rodents, following game trails. So. It's the name of our new podcast where we talk about arboreal species. Is arboreal adventures? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We'll that's, start that one later. That's already trademarked. If anybody, uh-huh. do that Sorry. now. Um, yep. So, um, <laughs> as far as reproduction, I mean, do they go through a winter brumation? Mm-hmm. I mean, they are in some pretty warm states, but it seems like they're in like the colder parts of these warm states. Yeah, they definitely go through a winter. I would imagine these guys are. You know, if you have them, you drop them like you would colubrids, let them get down into the 50s, let them get cold, don't feed them for a little while, bring them back up, give them a meal, then they probably start popping them out like, you know, test bunnies. Mm-hmm. Just poop, 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 poop. Just, and then just fire them, yeah. Yeah, and who knows, maybe they'll even double clutch, so. Um, that that was another question, yeah. Yeah, I so, don't know. I don't know. I would have to ask the folks that have bred them to see if they've tried it and see if, you know, push them if would, it happens. would you even do that like would you even push them to double i mean i don't I know would... it seems like it's not worth it if you get a really good healthy clutch i would just focus yeah who on... cares also if you're the only guy doing it do you really want to flood it by just producing like double your number every year no yeah, that's a good point Hell too. no yeah. yeah so um lifespan we're looking for what corn snakes at 20 yeah 20, 20 plus 20 plus if you're doing it right you know if yeah. you, if they they are able to exercise they're not being overfed they're not being underfed and uh, access to fresh water. I would imagine that keeping these guys like a corn snake is just fine. But based yeah. on, you know, some of the anecdotal evidence, if you were to give them a slightly taller enclosure and give them like tree branches and stuff to climb on, you'd probably, probably utilize that. You'd probably have a more fit animal. Yeah. So as far as defensive behavior, you know, it's going to be, it's got the blending. It can hide, mm-hmm. but it's also going to do the musking. It's it's a colubrid. Yeah. It's a corn snake. It's going to shit all over you. Yep, so. and nothing too out, outrageous beyond that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. At so. one point, these guys were considered an intergrade of oh. corn snakes and great great plains rat snakes. What? All right. Yeah. Continue. So. So that's probably part of why there's some some pullback on the whole species elevation thing. You know, there's always people who are are stuck in their ways or like they grew up calling it whatever it is. And so it's just kind of hard to change. Flat earth herpers. Got it. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I would imagine that the folks who, you know, when they were first sort of talking about them or knew of them before they're elevated, probably just considered them you know, ah, those intergrades or those rat snakes or whatever they, you know, call them. And it's just, you know, maybe some minimal resistance to 
the the nomenclature changes, but I don't know. It seems like they're pretty cool because they're like a their locality and a species. Yeah, they're they're a specific species only found in a certain area. So it's yeah, it's um, but they have definitely been elevated to full species. So it's like, mm-hmm. it, you know, it it's one of those things. It's almost like it's almost like it's a bread lie. Yeah, you know, I'm into carpets, but I also love bread lie. You don't sit there and go, I'm into carpets, but I'm also into bread lie carpets. Yeah, it's not a thing. That's yeah. not a thing. So. I mean, even to call Masawinski's corn snake is weird. I would just go with the rat snake, right? Yeah, that seems like it would probably be more um, less confusing if you went with Sawinski's rat snake. Yeah, right? because if you call it a corn snake, people are going to lose that first part, Sawinski, or they're going to retain it as a, a, a morph. That's it's a, it's an offshoot of a corn snake. If you have corn snake in the name, you're gonna it's going to be an offshoot of a corn snake, no matter what you do. And I would like imagine. That. The guys who named, you know, did all the research and named it, they probably would prefer calling it rat snake just because of that distinction and kind of like a tip of the cap to to the gentleman right. who passed away. So, right, jeez. But uh, yeah, so you know how there's this big resurgence in in colubrids lately, and people kind of getting into um, a little this more would diversity. Be a cool one. This yeah. would be a really, really cool one. You could argue this would be um, a North American rat snake keepers, you know, top sort of animal, like just yeah. because of how uncommon elusive they are and, and the story behind it. And just they're unique and easily overlooked. But to, to somebody who truly knows, like if you, if you saw a bunch of corn snakes and rat snakes on a table and there was like a pair of those somewhere, only a true enthusiast would stop. What is that? Right. So. Right. Or even be able to differentiate. I mean, and this is one of those ones where, you know, if you're thinking about getting into a certain number of calibers, this wouldn't be too hard. Mm-mm. General care is what? Corn snake like or yep. North American colubrid like? I don't even want to keep saying corn snake like. I yeah. don't want to say North American colubrid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could probably get in the habit of keeping them in an enclosure that's appropriate for the size of the animal in question. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would think giving it a thermal gradient from one end to like, the other being 70 to 85 would be perfect. You know, you probably don't even need much of a hot spot, And that would just be if you want to feed it or give it maybe some seasonal variation in temperatures. But I think room temperature would really not be an issue. I would just always encourage, you know, a little bit more of a warm spot, especially right after feeding. So if we're talking pets and you want to do like a glass you know, glass open or front opening glass exoterra sort of thing. You did like a, the 40 gallon, you give them a hot spot on one side. I think these guys would thrive. I think they would do really, really well. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's also one of those things of like, you know, if you don't want to dump and in, jump into a bunch of morph projects, but you want to do some colubrid stuff, this would be a cool one to even just get into. Cause just having a pair, yeah. you could breed it. I mean, like I have three corn snakes right now, but they're all different morphs and, breeding two of them together i have no idea what i'm gonna get they're just they're they're corn snakes so it's almost like having this would be kind of a little bit around the same thing but i would just breed them and get sulawesi rats which is awesome yeah and they're not as big as like the hundred flowers where you have to consider you know uh larger caging if you have a 41 quart rack that you like to keep your colored bridge in you could probably live in that for forever yeah so that's not bad at all 
Yeah. I bet yeah, I bet you these snakes would adapt well to rack systems, no problem, or mm-hmm. or uh terrarium life, uh however you want to keep it, you know. I think they'd cool. do really well. So they're kind of like if you're into if you're into pine snakes and you like northern pines and Louisiana pines and black pine, black pines, it's kind of like that. If you're into corn snakes, you're into rat snakes and Evers glaze rat snakes and Slowinski's rats, you know, it, it kind of falls in one of those right. sub niches of, of reptile people there. So I feel oh, like God. these deserve their due. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing like, say you're a corn snake breeder and you got a ton of corn snakes in all different colors and morphs and phases, I mean, would it kill you just to have a pair of these just to breed every couple of years and toss up on the table? No, why not? Exactly. Yeah. So. It'd be refreshing, you know? Uh, and me- you know what? It's going to be one of those things like where, People aren't really going to want them, and then the red list is going to come down and just slam the door, and then everybody's going to be like, "Oh my god, where are they? I didn't get them!" Like you know, nobody yep. gives a nobody gives a crap about a black pine until they tell you you can't have a black pine, mm-hmm. and then everybody wants a black pine. Mm-hmm. So that's always yeah. how it goes. Yeah, me being a late bloomer to corn snakes, I can see the 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 draw to having you know, morph projects and a bunch of variety, but mm-hmm. then me also being a big fan of, of subspecies and localities and stuff in my pythons. Now I'm like, dude, I want some Slowinski's rat snakes. We, this is a very dangerous podcast for the yeah, both of us. Being that you and I, being that you and I have already bought into Collier bird projects together. Like <laughs> oh, we want to no. keep adding to this list. This is a terrible thing. This is why we film. This is why we do this show film. What the fuck? This is why we do this show before nine o'clock p.m. because we have a rule <laughs> that we're not allowed to talk to each other after nine because that's how snakes get bought yep so yeah all right this has been a fun one i like this one yeah i this bet you good. joe is sitting there doing a happy dance right now well why not he should be we let him go yeah so all right <laughs> <laughs> we released him after we got the information anyway after we tortured him, <laughs> we tortured him a little bit so uh, Raleigh, throw out whatever you want to throw out there, because then we're, I'll do my end, and then we shall talk about what we're going to do next time. You got so, it. Go for all it. right. So for me, you can find me under Riley's Reptiles and all that social media goodness under Riley Jimison on YouTube and uh, the Reptile Room podcast on all your other podcast platforms. That's the other one I do. So, yeah. Cool. And Collie Brick Corner is part of the Morelia Python Radio Network. Uh, go check out all the podcasts on the Morelia Python Radio Network, like Morelia Python Radio with myself and Eric Burke. Uh, Carpet Cliff Notes with myself and Eric Burke. <laughs> Collie Brick Corner with myself and Riley Jimison. Um, not Eric Burke. <laughs> not Eric Burke. He's not in this one. And then uh, Student of the Serpent, which is Eric Burke and Rob Stone. Uh, if you have not listened to their first episode um, with the Woma Python, go check that out. Uh, and also there's some new Carpet Cliff Notes coming out. Eric and I just recorded a bunch. So those are all going to come out soon, too. Uh, make sure you like the Morelia Python Radio Network on Facebook, Instagram. Also, Colibra Corner on its Instagram page. We'll post up pictures there of the animals that we're discussing, as well as um, links to the podcast when they drop on MoreliaPythonRadio.com. You can check out all the uh, Riley's kind of notes for each episode. So you can kind of see all the information that we have there so that anybody can kind of do some research. There. We're just trying to put out as much information on these things as we can. So, Riley, next yes. time, what are we talking about? Next time, we will be talking about the Rhombic Egg Eater or Dasipelta Scabra. 
That's a cool Latin. All right. Yeah. So next time we'll talk about that. We'll see everybody then. Bye. Later. <laughs>